Well, as Mike said, I didn't get much sleep last night. Me and my uh, my oldest were up all night fighting off something. I don't know what it was, but we're going to win the fight. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I, I happened upon this because I'm going to, you know, keep sanitizing my, my hands because I am a product of Mary Smith. And so, uh, but I happened to look upon this thing. And I thought, you know, is it possible to oversell something? I don't really know. But I looked at this and I read it and it said, invigorating gel, advanced hand sanitizer. Like, that's really trying to sell this product. I mean, invigorating gel, advanced hand sanitizer. Why would I go get this when all this is here is hand sanitizer? It's not invigorating, nor is it advanced. So that kills 99.9% of germs. This kills 99.91% of germs. I don't really know. But I just thought it was funny. So I'll be putting this on my hands probably very religiously to uh, be invigorated. Um, I like a good struggle. Maybe it's just because I'm a man. Uh, maybe just because you know, it's the family I grew up in. Um, but I like watching football. I like watching, you know, when, when two opposing forces go at it because someone's going to have to, you know, become the victor, right? Someone's going to have to stand outright to be the winner of whatever the fight in the battle is. Uh, you know, when I, when I was given the sermon, and it being Palm Sunday, it being the beginning of Passion Week, um, in case you didn't know, Jesus is coming to town here pretty soon. If he's not already here, he'll be riding in. Um, but uh, his Passion Week is something that's very special to me because in my mind, a man who does what he says he's going to do is a special guy. We, we lack that in our day. Jesus said that he was going to uh, offer freedom, that he was going to rescue us. He made it very clear, though many didn't understand it. Uh, and so this is the week where he proved it. He endured what he said he was going to endure. He rose when he said he was going to raise again. And he, he conquered death to offer us uh, victory and freedom. And yet I personally believe, because I personally struggle with it, um, we have a hard time with this concept of triumph and victory. We can sing about it, as many of us do. Songs tend to, you know, they tend to get inside of us and they rile up our emotions and we can really connect with, you know, some of these truths. But yet when you're faced with it day in and day out and you're, you're in your struggle, whatever it is, relationship, financial, spiritual, maybe you're just at odds with the Lord. Maybe for him, you know, for you, he really hasn't come through for you, right? And so I'm going to put it to you like this. Um, there's an absolute truth right here. And anything that comes from the mouth of God is absolute truth. Then there is sort of your truth. You believe a lie, that's a truth for you, because you believe it. And yet that can be a direct contrast to what we see here in the Word of God. So I'm going to try and help us this morning to really grapple with this so that we can walk triumphantly. Turn to Matthew 21. All the Gospels account uh, have the, the account, though I think Luke does not include the uh, quote from the Old Testament. Um, but they talk about Jesus' triumphal procession or his coming into Jerusalem. Now, if you had, a, if you had somebody you knew in that day, and they were going to come through, and they were going to be a king, many of us, just like them, you know, the Jews, we would, we would say, well, he's going to come in on a horse, and he's going to come in really triumphantly, guns blazing, sword drawn. He's going to come in, he's going to rescue and redeem us. That's not what Jesus did, though. You know, as we look in here, how he actually did it. Now, the quote from Zechariah is only a partial quote. We won't really look at that except to say that it was, it was done that way to fulfill what the prophet spoke about. So right there, just before uh, 21, I'm going to read the last part of, uh, of chapter 20. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. I think that speaks to me for some of us today. You know, and I'm speaking to people who have, have read this a thousand times, that have been saved their whole life. I'm talking about me standing in front of the pulpit. You know, maybe our eyes aren't fully open. Because the thing about a truth is if it's a truth, well, nothing's really going to waver it. Nothing should waver it, right? Unless it's a greater truth. That's 
philosophical. We're not going to really go down that road. But if it's a truth for you, it should not waver. The sky is blue. If you perceive it to be blue, it's blue. Many make the case it's actually not blue. It's just all, all these different scientific facts that go into it. But for you, you're not going to be wavered. You look up at the sky, it looks what? It looks blue. I'm not going to convince you otherwise. I can put facts before you all day long, but you look up at the sky and it looks what? Therefore, it's what? Okay. Walk of a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Period. Okay? And so that's the problem that we're going to have is that we're latching on to lies that come from the enemy. And he's so very subtle. He's so very crafty, you know, when he speaks those lies to us. But here these men want their eyes to be opened. They have a physical disability. Their eyes are blinded, and they want their eyes to be opened. And so this is what Jesus, um, this is what they said. They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes open. Move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Okay? So now we get into, as he's moving his way in, when they, uh, <clears throat> when they approached Jerusalem and they come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, right? Village opposite me would be where Sam is. Village opposite Sam would be where I am. <clears throat> Sam's in the great sound, by the way. Um, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Zechariah, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey. Gentle and mounted on a donkey. Well, um, this is some kind of fierce battle. I mean, already Jesus has met such opposition, um, and certainly we've met opposition. And here comes our king, gentle. I'm not sure if I'm going to go into a battle. I want a gentle king. You know what I mean? I don't want some guy that's coming in, you know, with compassion on my enemy. Let's slaughter them first. And let's talk about it after, okay? That's that's more like to my liking. I like a good a good fight, you know what I'm saying? But here he comes, gentle, mounted on a donkey. Not on a horse, you know? That's like some of those movies you watch where, uh, what is it, The Mummy, where there's horses, but then that one lady's riding a camel, and the camel's totally, like, kicking butt, right? <laughs> the camel's, like, really, really getting it done. Um, but he's gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their coats on them and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. This is an interesting point for me as I've read through this. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Who are these people saying Hosanna to the Lord in the highest? This is Sunday. This is today. What happens on Friday? Cross, right? So if we're, if we're remembering our Bible history, we've got all these different things that happen each day of the week. But on Friday, the cross happens. What happens as Jesus is on the cross? What is the crowd doing? Now, the crowd is huge. It's got soldiers and centurions. It's got these people. So there he is on the cross, and they are shouting, Hosanna! Right? Not on Friday. What happened on Friday? What happened? What happened between Sunday and Friday that this crowd, who is so pumped about this king riding in on a donkey, and the fact that he was on a donkey and he was coming in gentle wasn't enough for them uh, to backpedal and go, not our guy. We missed it. We made a mistake. This is not our guy, so we'll follow somebody else. Now, they continue to follow him all the way to the cross, and something changes. Well, I don't know. I'll let you think about that because I'm trying to figure it out what changed in them that on Friday they're shouting, crucify him, and on Sunday as he rides in on this donkey, they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus. The crowds were saying this. This is the prophet Jesus. From Nazareth in Galilee. I'm going to stop right there. Um, what would it take for you to be part of this crowd and to change like they did? Did they not believe it? Did they not believe that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the King? Already, he's defying their own notions. 
He didn't come in on a horse. It wasn't a white horse. He didn't come sword drawn. He wasn't going to fight a physical battle. They were sure he would. You know, he's already come against what they what they had preconceived in their mind. But how did they get to Friday and they're shouting, crucify him? Here's the problem I think that we have. We are presented with a truth that says this. Your struggle is healing or it's financial or it's relational. Jesus wants to rescue you from that. Jesus can rescue you from that. Let me show it to you this. This group right here, it's a mixed group. I don't know half of you, some visitors and such, but how many would say Jesus can do anything? How many would agree with Matthew when he says, well, in Christ all things are possible, or through God all things are possible, right? How many hands would truly go up if I made that statement? You are making a declaration, a decision right now that's to say that I believe that. Some hands were tentative because Mike likes to ask loaded questions and you know, you don't want me to come with that left hook, but this is a fair question, so I'll ask it again. It's a fair question, not really loaded. Um, but how many would honestly say that? Through Christ, through God, all things are possible. I'll raise my hand, and I won't shake, and I won't waver, okay? Now, here comes the problem. What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't do it? What are you asking him to do? So are you asking Jesus to be healed, or are you asking for God's will to, to be played forth in your life? That's two very different questions, if you ask me. We prayed for Steve Smith for the longest time. Man, very, very special to me, you know, and the Lord took him home, and it broke my heart, you know, but I was happy to have him go be with the Lord, you know, to know that his fight was done, you know, and he went triumphantly like a champ. I hope I could I hope I could get half the man that, that dude was, Steve Smith. But we prayed for him and, and he never did this side of heaven, never did get healed. But he was sustained. Boy, the Lord carried him a, a good number of days, you know? Good number of days the Lord carried him. But does that mean that Jesus can't heal? Does that mean that he let Steve down or Mary or his children? Are we going to take the truth that we believe and suddenly because we didn't get the answer we wanted, are we going to shift and go, well, okay, he didn't want to, therefore he's, he's against us, and he wanted to take Steve away from us. See, these are the crafty things the devil can say to you. I'm not a real big, I mean, I love theology, don't get me wrong, but I'm more towards the end of so what. So I'll take it and I'll say, okay, so what does it mean for me today? Because I know that we all struggle with it, because I'm the same as you are. I'm probably just a little more stubborn, but I'm the same as you are, and I get it. I know what it's like to be praying and praying and praying and praying and wondering, and when you get to that stage where you're wondering, it's then the devil comes in and goes, you see, he's holding out on you. He's got you duped. Do you know our struggle with triumph goes all the way back to the creation, to creation when he created Adam and Eve? It was before sin entered that God said it's not good for man to be alone, so he created a wife for Adam. So right there, we know that God wanted Adam, he wanted to institute, you know, marriage. We know what he wanted it to look like, what he wanted it to be like. Here comes the snake and says, well, what did he actually say? They had everything that they needed. Do you know they were walking around when the serpent was walking around talking to him? They were walking around naked. But they didn't know they were. They didn't care. They were no wiser, you know. But I say that to you, kind of cringe. Ooh, they're walking around naked. I can't imagine walking around naked. That was all before the fall. It was after the fall that the problems began to, to arise. Suddenly I have to be covered. Suddenly I have shame. You know? And he's so crafty, he can whisper in your ear such lies. You know? Um, recently, my family has been through, I guess, kind of a lot. You know, Sarah lost her dad. Um, some of you knew Jim. I thought Jim was a great guy. And uh, we had his, uh, his funeral yesterday because her, her stepbrother, Jim's son, lived in Ohio, so they set the time for, for yesterday. And I think we set him off in a good way. He would have loved it. You know, there were some things that were a little sketchy, but all in all, I think it was, I think it was good. We spread his ashes out on the, on the river, and it was funny because Jim loved Pepsi. That man loved Pepsi like nothing else in this world. He was a Pepsi drinker. He was. He wouldn't drink water. When Seth tried to pull it from him, he was like, well, he stood his ground. Much like how Monk, when he was in Mexico, and they told us they sold his suitcases, and he didn't drink a lick of anything because they didn't have Sierra Springs water. 
<laughs> you anybody ever watch Monk Brother episode? He was so thirsty by the end of the episode. He'd been in Mexico for a couple of days, and he was <laughs> he was parched. Uh, Jim was like to have a Pepsi, so Sarah took a Pepsi out on the boat. We took him out onto the onto Lake Jess, um, the St. John's River, right between Jessup and uh, and Monroe. And we went around about, I don't know, two or three miles. She popped up in a Pepsi, pours it in the water <laughs> over top of the ashes. Everybody lit up. They thought it was great. <laughs> I thought very cool. And it was kind of funny because the ashes kind of stayed afloat like a long time. They were like, they didn't really settle right away. And we were sure he was having one last Pepsi before he went out. <laughs> I kid. I joke. He really wasn't having one. <laughs> but it was just kind of funny. Um, but uh, so we had that. Uh, I total our, our work car. Um, I, I drive a kind of a beater because I, I work kind of a long way away, but uh, we totaled the car. And this is interesting because, you know, if I was to say to you, how many people here believe that whatever happens to you was not a surprise to God? Okay. Most of you raised your hand this morning. I know it's true. Don't, don't lie to me, people. I know. You know, because we all believe that, right? We know it came through his hand. So we have to make a decision, don't we? We have to decide, well, he clearly wanted it to happen because he didn't stop it. He could stop it. All of these things are truths, right? He could totally have stopped the accident, but he didn't stop the accident. That means he wanted me to be in an accident. You see where I'm going with this? I'm challenging our way of thinking because we're going to have to really get it rooted in the scriptures and who Christ is and who Jesus is, you know? So I'm in the accident, and I love this car. It was the first big purchase that we made when we were married, um, and we, we bought this car, and uh, that car got us all the way to now. And she was beat up pretty bad. I'm talking about my hood was crunched like this. My front bumper pushed in. The passenger's headlight was blown out. The radiator was, was jacked in a little bit. I was leaking water. 20 miles from home, people. She got me within 100 feet. She quit 100 feet before my neighborhood. I walked a mile home out of 20. And then she quit right there. I missed that car. That was a great car, that little Nissan, you know. Um, but I told my wife. I called her. From outside the neighborhood, I'm like, hey, listen, i got to walk you through this, <laughs> literally. Um, I was in a car accident, and I told the car, and God bless her. Sarah has a faith like no other. She challenges me every single day with her faith in the Lord. And yet, she kind of wavered because her truth was there goes our savings. We've had a lot kind of going through me medical things. You know, I feel like every trip to the hospital is $1,000. You go to the hospital, it's a thousand bucks. You can forget it. I don't care if you stubbed your toe, if you got the sniffles, you know, they, they charge you. They said it's a racket out there. I got a bill from the doorman. Left handed door pull, fifty bucks. You know? But <laughs> you know, every time we go to the, the, the hospital, it's a thousand bucks. So it's kinda hard for us. And we finally got our feet under us. We're putting money in the bank. We're really happy. We're really excited that it might get to the car accident. And she was distraught. She was just I just I don't know why we try. I don't know why we try. And I remember thinking to myself, well, the Lord ultimately has a better plan because he wants only good for us and the good gifts come from him. And so that's a truth and I want to hold on to that. And yet my wife is kind of having a hard time and, and I'm kind of with her. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You, you know, you might be right. But as I prayed and as I thought through, you know, and, and by, by the way, I came through with another vehicle that was uh, less mileage, much better shape. Um, it had air. The Nissan didn't have air. So in Florida, that's a good thing. Um, so it had air. But we wound, up, we wound up with what we consider a better vehicle. And we're, we're thinking we'll pretty much come through it right there flush. Right? So not only do we not deplete savings, we may not touch it very much. Isn't that a cool thing? Praise God, right? Praise God on that. And yet, and yet her reaction got me to thinking, like, that's how we are. We judge an outcome based on our limited information, our limited knowledge. Something happens to you, and how many people do this? This is not, I get hands, won't go up for this, but how many people are what we call doomsdayers? Something happens in your life, and you run the logic like this. I stub my toe. Boy, it hurts really bad. I can't go to the doctor because, well, I really can't afford it, so I'm not going to go to the doctor. It's going to gangrene. The toe's going to fall off. I'll bleed out from the foot. There goes the foot. I'll bandage that thing up. There's no prosthesis for that, so I'm going to hobble on a nub, for a while, that's going to break my leg and ultimately result in my death. They run the logic so negatively. You doomsday everything. You know? My son gets a bloody nose. 
He might sound good to nobody else. He banged his head. He's got a concussion. That's going to be a brain injury. He's going to be an invalid for the rest of his life. I think that's a pretty far leap. That's a pretty far leap if you ask me. You know, but it's what we do. It's what we do by nature. Because all we have in front of us is the information we have in front of us. I wanted to title this message, Triumph Before Trial, because I think that needs to be the mentality. You need to be victorious in Christ, period. You're victorious in Christ today. That's a week before you have the most horrific incident in your life ever. It does not change that you're victorious in Christ. It does not change that he went to the cross and that he, he paid the penalty. See, sin is the worst thing. The absolute worst thing, because it separates us from God. There's nothing worse. I don't care what injury it is, what financial downfall, there is nothing worse than your sin and my sin. And Jesus overcame that. So if he overcame the worst, how can we therefore say this is the worst thing ever? Bottom line is blood was required. That was the payment. And that wasn't the devil's asking. That was what God's just law said you know you sin against a holy god and you cannot be with him it would require blood and jesus paid it so what debt do you carry today what debt do you sit here in these chairs what do you carry today the only answer could be no debt and thus we can walk in freedom sounds really simple right it's such a profound thing, but it's it's so very simple. So I walk out of here, and I total my new car. What changes in my life? Think about that. What changes in my life? I total my, my new car that I have. What changes is the way I get to work and probably the vehicle. Nothing else. It doesn't change anything else. It puts God right back in the driver's seat for him to bless me how he wants to bless me because he chose not to intervene. So this is ultimately what he wants me to walk through. So whatever it is that's in your life that you're struggling with, whatever relational difficulty, as we look at these people here, the thing I like best about this, what we've read so far, is that he's gentle and mounted on a, on a colt. When I read gentle, I read peace. There's a sense of peace that Jesus has. Now, he knows what he's going to have to endure. He's fully God and he's fully man. He knows what he's going to have to endure, and yet he has a peace about it. He offered it up to his father. You know, if it be your will, take this cup, but your will be done, not my own. He knew good and well what was going to happen to him. Problem for us is that we don't. We don't know what the future holds for us. But I want to submit to you that, that I know what the future holds for you. And it's victory. It's salvation. It's heaven forever with the Lord. This little blink of an eye that we live on earth, it's nothing. Get everything that you want. Get your house, your nice car, huge bank account, buy your football team, get everything that you want. When you die, stays here. Go ahead, get it. Enjoy it for 80 years. I would much rather not lose my salvation, and I would much rather not lose my hope in the Lord, I'd rather hold on to that because that I'll have forever. That I'll have in eternity when he makes every provision for me, everything that I truly need, all made for me. I'd rather have that. I don't want to be the one in the crowd who changes in a matter of five days and goes from praising him to crucifying him, to condemning him on the cross. You know, Meredith said it too when she read. She read right there from, from Friday, you know. She read right there. When he's up there on the cross, completely at peace, you know. Listening to these two guys argue. One says, oh, if you're the son of God, bring yourself down from there. I wouldn't want him to come down. Does it sound weird to say that? But I know who I am, corrupted from the beginning. I carry Adam's blood in me, same as you. I'm corrupted. I can't do it. Only Christ can do that. And here he comes. He's going to do it. Riding on a donkey. 
wanting to pay for your sin, the sin you committed when you leave here, because you can't do it. We can't. We're not corrupted, and we're fallible, and we're weak. But here comes a man, stronger than I've ever known, being with an inch of his life, carries that cross. By the way, that was not some cheap wood. I'm sure that cross probably weighed a good 7,500 pounds. I wouldn't be surprised. Two pieces of wood. That's all it was. But it was tall enough to lift him up to where they had to stab him with a spear. It's a lot of wood to carry, especially when you've been beaten to an inch of your life. You know? And I think Gibson did a good job, you know, playing it out in the passion of the Christ. Um, but he suffered a great deal. What more does this man have to do? What more does he have to do before we'll step back from our own our own prejudice, our own our own lack of understanding and knowledge and, and say say to him that he is truly the Lord, that he is truly the 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 lover of our souls, the author of our faith, everything that we read that's true. Why? Why then does your experience in life here overcome this? It's a, how? I don't know. I don't know for me. But I know that when I was in this car accident, when I went to have that same knee-jerk reaction as my wife, I stopped. And I stepped back. And I said, this has got to be truth for me. I cannot go down that road again. That it's all over and it's done with. And I want to tell you I'm really good at it. I'm really not. You know? I'm really not. Same as you guys aren't. Let something happen to you. And your knee-jerk reaction. You ever study that? You ever think about that? That's all I wanted to study when I was in school. And I was in school for 12 years. <laughs> Truly, I was. Um, but that's all I wanted to study was what gets up here and causes us to have foolish thinking that we do. How do we have a knee-jerk reaction and jump right to the negative? I mean, I wanted to step back and say, cool. I get to experience God's grace in a brand new way. I have no idea what it looks like, how it's going to play out, but it will. It'll play out in my life. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do because he is doing and he will do. He just probably won't do it the way you want him to do it. Anybody ever ask the Lord a question and also give him the answer? Lord, come through for me by doing such and so and such and so and such and so. You know what I mean? My little one does that to me. You know, dad, I need you to do me a favor. What? I need you to fix my, uh, my, my Lego helicopter. First, you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and you do this, and you do this. And I look at him and I go, seems to me like you got to figure it out, bud. You know? <laughs> Put it together, you know? But we don't have it figured out. We don't have it figured out. That's why you default to that negative. You have a fight with your, your spouse. I love this one, you know? I, I'm going to have a fight with my spouse, and she's going to be mad at me for a week. Because of where I put my socks. That's a good thing to fight about. You can have a you can have a better fight. You know? We fight about some stupid stuff, don't we? Yeah, we do. We get so ignorant sometimes that we want to fight the Lord with it too. Back away. My 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 thing to you is take a step back before I take a step forward. Take a step back, take a deep breath, and remember who Christ is. Gotta see it through that lens. I don't care what it is. Mary, I love you. You know, I love your husband. He's a dad to me. You know, even death. Or as Meredith put it, sleeping. For Stephen was sleeping. He's having a nice long nap and getting his rest. And he better get his rest because he's going to do all those things in heaven he could not do here. Isn't that exciting? In heaven, Stephen's going to be jumping and dancing, doing cartwheels and backflips. There he is. Drinking water. Things he couldn't do when he was here. this I'm telling you, this man was rationed water. You know, but he's going to do all those things that he could not do here, he's going to be doing in heaven. So I know you have problems, and I know you have struggles, just like the Lord does, just like you do. I'm challenging you, and I'm encouraging you to take a step back before you take a step forward. That will That will save your life in so many different ways. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is David. And if you'll turn to Psalm 27, I'm going to read to you one of the psalms that David penned. And this man had a special relationship with the Lord, where he penned his psalms out shepherding sheep. 
stinky old sheep protecting him. He loved him so much that he fought a bear and a lion, and the Lord delivered them both, you know, delivered them from both of them. And this is what David says. I want you to hear these words because I would read these words if you came to me and said, hey, Mike, listen, I need you to pray for me because I'm in the worst situation of my life ever. I feel like I'm about to get a divorce, and I feel like my relationship with my wife is over. I feel like my dad let me down, and he totally bailed on me, and he wasn't there for me, and, and my world is ending. He says, I'm going to read these words to you, and I'm going to see if these words are true in your life. All things being equal, the hurt being the same, I get it. We live on this side of heaven, and we endure this world, which is an awful place. We made it that way. We made our choice, right? So I get it 100%. So you put yourself in the situation, whatever it is. You put the goal, the hope, the dream that never seems to come to pass. You get so close, only to see it get pulled away or fall apart. And here's David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Wouldn't that be nice to see that sometimes? See, a, see somebody coming at you, the devil coming at you, ruining your life, and see him stumble and fall. Right in front of you. He just stumbles and falls. Though a host... Camp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Cole had a really great Bible study in our group last Wednesday. And it was interesting because I, I've not quite come across a difference in translation like this. We were in Hebrews 3, right there in like verse 6, I think it was. And it, and it read something about um, confidence. In the NASB, it reads confidence. But in the NIV, it reads courage. And I thought, what an interesting translation. So I went through and looked at that word. And, and basically, it, it kind of means both, but it means a sense of, well, a sense of finality. It's like knowing. You declare it. You speak it without even wavering or quivering whatsoever. This is the way that it is. And we can have our confidence in Christ. That whole first couple of chapters of Hebrews is all about his supremacy. He is better than angels and any name on this earth and any person on this earth. And if that's true for you, he is bigger than a car accident. He's bigger than Steve falling asleep. He's bigger than your, your marriage troubles. He's bigger than your financial troubles. He is the giver of good gifts. Why would he give you money when he can give you the thing itself? Save you a trip to the store. You know what I'm saying? He can hold it, totally give you everything. He wanted a tree. He said tree. And there it was, a tree. Fully matured at creation because you needed a tree. You need a tree to bear fruit so you can eat, to give you shade from the sun. Do you know that there was no pain, that you didn't even have to fight with weeds or anything like that until they ate from that tree the devil challenged them to eat from? You didn't have pain in childbirth. Men did not have to worry about pulling weeds from the garden. Basically, tended itself. You were meant to enjoy it. This is heaven, folks. Get back over there and no more of that. No more pain and no more of that. But this is David. One thing I have asked, verse 4 in, in, in Psalm 27, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek. So not only did I ask for it, but now I'm going to seek it. I'm going to keep asking for it, and I'm going to go looking for it. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. It's not a known place, people. It's a secret place. And he's going to put you right there. So I'll take my truth, and I'll put it up against anyone else's truth. Because this truth right here will win today. But there's a caveat. You have to let it. And I, and I promise you this. Here's going to be a scary thing. Some battles, some victories are decided at the very, very end. This is a tricky one for us because, number one, our victory is already secured. Because what did Jesus say on the cross? It's finished. It's done. 
heaven secured, salvation secured for you. And yet we still live here. We live our life. We're waiting for him to come back to bring us on home. And we encounter those difficulties every single day. And every single day we're faced with a choice. Do I believe what I see? Or do I believe what the word says? Hebrews chapter 11. What is faith? Speak it out, people. Come on. What is faith? The evidence of things. Am I going to believe what I see? Or am I going to have faith? Or what I want to call triumphant faith. I'm going to walk triumphantly in this day and in this circumstance because I know it to be true. I don't have to see it. And I don't have to see it because I know who Jesus is, not what he's done. If you know Jesus by what he's done, then you'll therefore know him by what he doesn't do. And there's a lot he's not going to do. There are the plenty of things that he's not going to do. We asked for a new kidney. He didn't do that. He could have. You know, fair enough. Fair enough. You know, we asked him for more toes. Right? We pray for more toes. That sounds silly, right? No, it doesn't sound silly at all. He built the first body in the first place. Why not the second? We believe him for big things, but sometimes he doesn't come through. You know what I mean? But faith is the evidence of things not seen. Knowing who Jesus is is more important than what he's done. He is Lord, and he is uh, Savior in my life, and he has complete control of everything that goes on in my life. This is the hard part for you and for me. You have to surrender it. You have to come up here and you have to lay it down. The biggest struggle that we have when it comes to triumphant faith is we want too much. Um, we want too much to be victorious. I want to be the champion. I don't want Jesus to be the champion. I want to do it. I want to be the one that's standing there holding the sword, victorious in the battle. And we take that from the Lord. We retain that control. We keep it to ourselves, and we lay down only half of it. And this is why you can't walk in it, because you're still trying to fight it. He's walking up going, put the sword down, the battle's over. You don't need that. Let me win it for you. So my question I lay before you today is, who is Jesus to you? I've asked that question before from this pulpit. And I will lay it before you again. Who is Christ to you? Because I promise you this, it won't take but a few minutes outside this, this church building before that's tested. Who is Jesus to you? Because we all know, Danny can appreciate this. I'm sure traffic in, in Chicago is pretty rough with all those people up there in the Windy City, you know. But he is the giver of peace. Hit I-4, 445 on a Monday afternoon. Yeah, go for a nice little drive out there with a car with no AC. <laughs> July 4th, right? Yeah, you'll be tested. I promise you that. You'll be tested. How many people hear what I'm saying today? That's your first mistake. Don't hear what I'm saying. Hear what the Lord is speaking through me. My words are fallible. Yeah, I've thought about it for weeks and months, and I've put together a nice little packaged, you know, sermon, just like Mike does when he comes out and teaches. And there's nobody that, that's more learned or studied than Mike Curtis. Anybody who's been through his marital, uh, premarital counseling gets what I'm saying. That for those latter weeks, past week five and six, things get a little dicey. You know what I mean? This man knows things that a man should know, but he walks you through it, you know, because he's thorough. But that's all it is. It's our studies, our reading, our memorization, our processing, our understanding, our limited and finite ability to do it when God is far beyond that. Don't hear my words, people. Hear what God is speaking to you through them because he knows your situation. I don't. I can make a best guess. I was pretty good at battleship, and I find that in this time, in this day and age, you know, here I'll say something that lands pretty close to home for some people. That's not on purpose. I promise you it's an accident. I'm just pretty good at battleship. So, so I'll end a couple of close blows when I talk about certain things. But um, but you got to hear what Christ is trying to say to you and let him be Lord in your life when you walk out of here. Go to somebody, man. Talk to him. Let him pray for you. But let Christ be the victor, and you ride with him. Let him do the heavy lifting. Let him... You know, say that battle. I, I would love to be Gideon to sit there and watch my enemies kill themselves. What an amazing battle. 
part of me would feel like, um, hmm, I got all ready. You know, like Hamish and Braveheart. Well, we didn't get dressed up for nothing, right? <laughs> you know, but I feel like, well, okay, what do you want to do? Grab a shower and, <laughs> you know, go pick up the spoils, you know? What a cool thing that must have been to watch his enemies kill themselves. Your problems, your struggles, in Christ, in Christ, they can be redeemed. And I want to use that word redeemed because I know people are here and they're having their struggles. I've had them. You know, I want to get past a seven-year itch. You know what I mean? They call it a seven-year itch. I want to I want to be married to my wife like people I talk to in the restaurant where I come up to them and I say, hey, how you guys doing? Oh, it's our anniversary. What anniversary is it? Oh, it's our 73rd anniversary. 73! What was happening 73 years ago when they got married? You know what I'm saying? That's crazy. And nowadays in the church and outside the church, you know, divorce is just so high of a, of a rate. You know, my parents said to me, I want them to live longer and longer and longer because I want them to be 73 years married. You know, you're finding them to be less. 30 is the new 70. You know, praise God for you if you're 20 plus years married. You know, I'm chasing you down. You know, but people don't have that kind of commitment anymore. And so I know there's marital troubles out there. But I'll tell you, as men, first thing you got to do is close this. Close this. This is nothing but trouble. This ate the apple. Okay? So <laughs> I'm just saying, calling it what it is, you know, same thing with financial troubles, you know. I'm just saying trust Jesus for everything that you need. Let him be your provider. It's really simple, folks. It really is. I didn't say it was easy. There's a difference. Okay? One plus one is easy. Or should I say simple? One plus one is simple. But my five-year-old struggle with it. You know? So maybe we'll just act like children. Maybe we'll just be big babies about it. And that's why we can't understand it. You're not meant to understand it. You try, you try, you try, but it won't be until the other side of heaven that you understand it. You know? And that's why you believe anything that comes your way. You get tossed this way, tossed that way, because the devil knows you inside and out. He knows what buttons to push. He knows how to entrap you. He's not a fool. He's going to come right up alongside the truth and then slowly peel out the truth and let you run with it. It will look so much like the truth, you'll believe it for a couple of, and before you know it, you're way over here, and you've drifted off. He is no fool. I look for the devil in my blind spot. I know it's there. There's a blind spot to every gifting that you have, every great thing that you do. you got a blind spot to it, and that's where he likes to operate, because you can't see him, and you believe that you're following the Lord because that's your gifting, because that's what you're good at. And your wife's not going to tell you any different. You're the smarter of the two, right? You've been through more. You're tougher. She's looking at you like you're an idiot. Like you are. You're an idiot. And I'm an idiot. But he gets right to that blind spot, folks, and that's where he operates and does so much damage. That's why I tell you to take a step back. When I'm out driving down the road and I've got the kids in the car and i got to make a lane change, one of the first things I typically want to do is I'll, I don't put the brakes on, but I'll, let the, I'll put my foot off the gas. And I'll start to, to treat a little bit because I want to see what's in my blind spot. And whatever's over there is traveling at a speed, the exact same speed I am because he's not coming through my blind spot. He's hanging out right there in the blind spot where I can't see him. So I'll put my foot off the gas and let him move out of my blind spot so I can see where he's at. You know what I mean? Well, same, that's my same challenge to you. Before you speak something, before you get into a stupid argument about socks or about who didn't do what and why you didn't do the dishes, before you get into a dumb argument, Take a step back. Take a deep breath. And remember, you chose her. You chased her. There are times I'll do that. You know? And I want to get back to the chase. I chased her for eight years. <laughs> She's very elusive. <laughs> Anybody ever catch a gazelle? Nope. <laughs> I tried. No, no. What I what I what I do is I got smart, and I followed Jesus. I let her come to me. <laughs> I went to Jesus, and I was like, "Well, if it's your will, it's going to happen." So I'll stand right here and wait. <laughs> and 
And so I did. I got my life right with the Lord, and come to find out that was his will after all. Yay me. But now I won't do the dishes. Chase her for eight years, waiting Christ for her, but I won't do the dishes? Come on. That's pretty stupid. I do the dishes at my house, folks. I really do. But I want you to love Jesus, and I want you to love Jesus for who he is, not just for what he's done, because he's already done everything he can do for you. There's nothing more that man can do. He gave you his blood. He gave you his body. He rescued you from everything. The rest of it's on you. The rest of it's on you. What more can you give? So this week, think about what Jesus, think about what he did, but think about who he is first. He's the God that was on the throne and came down to earth and said, I got to do this. I got. I love them too much. They made a mistake. They made a mistake. That's all they did was they made a mistake. And I don't want to be punished for it forever. So he told his father, I got it. For a couple of hours, Jesus spent hell, separation from his father. So I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that looks like. I won't know until he comes back. You know what I mean? And I really understand that's out of heaven. Lord, do I pity those people that will live it. So I've heard it said like this, you'll spend eternity. The question is where? If I'm wrong, whatever. If you're wrong, nobody's going to help you. When that, day, when that day comes, nobody's going to help you. There ain't no second chances. You know, there's not. Sorry. Get it right now. Get it right now. My next car accident, I might be totaled. I love you, Mary. My wife hates it when I say things like that, too. But it's a truth. It's a reality, you know. I'm going to pray for us. I'll pray for us because I know it's a it's a simple truth. But I'll ask you again. There you are in your situation. Life's falling apart. I get it. It hurts. It's awful. You want to be out of it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the center of my life. This is a man who truly knew all of those things. His own kids coming after him. Can he serve faithfully? Try to kill him. All those things. This is a man who lived a light like that. And this was his truth right here. This is what drove him. Because he knew. He knew his God. When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh. My adversaries and my enemies. They stumbled and fell. You won't even have to fight them. That's what walking in freedom means to me. Is you ain't even got to pick up a sword and fight. You just simply let the Lord do that. You follow after him. Sometimes he will put victory in your hands, and sometimes he'll take it for himself. Just to show you how much he cares for you. But this right here needs to be your truth, just like it was for David. And Christ proved it. This was the week he proved it. The devil was sure come Friday it was over. He was wrong. You know, and so shall we can be sometimes. We can be wrong, and we can miss it. He thought the victory was his until Sunday came. Mark your calendars, folks. Next time Sunday rolls around, it's a good day. Really good day. We'll go through some dark times before we get there, but ultimately Sunday comes. Right? Well, Father, I just pray right now for every heart in the room. I pray for every situation. I pray for every word that I've spoken. You take it. You toss away the bad ones. You let the good ones hit. You speak, God. You go beyond my words right now. Show us, God. Show me, even as I stand here. I, I want to know you deeper. Just who you are as it plays out in my life. I want to have more experiences like when I step back and I actually look to you. And I actually trust you. And the fear melts away. And the uncertainty doesn't matter. Only you matter. And I ask, God, that you would continue to do that. That you would continue to call us forth. You would continue to do those things in our lives, be victorious in our lives, Father. I'm asking Jesus that wherever there's struggle, wherever people have need or want, that you come through mighty and yet peaceful. You speak peace to hearts today. 
I pray, God, wherever people are, are just up in the air and the devil's got them all twisted up, God, you speak peace. You come in gentle on that donkey because you know, you know the end and you know how it's going to be done and you're going to do it. And I thank you, Father, that the cross, it was finished. The devil was defeated at the cross. And when he comes to lie to me, and when he comes to lie to my brothers and sisters, I pray, Father, they would take, take a step back right into your words. And they would soak up truth. And they would soak up victory. And they would soak up courage and confidence and assurance that only what happens to us is what you want to have happen to us. I want to be a man like Job, going through so much, the devil thinking he's won, but you know that all the while, redemption's going to come. Redemption's going to happen. And whatever the situation is, we're all going to find it in you. When we look to you, we walk in step with you, and when we surrender to you. And I ask God that we would surrender it all Lay it down. Foolish arguments. They mean nothing. Foolish worries that do nothing but add worry. Lay them down. I pray we lay them down, God, at your feet. And we take your burden because you told us to. You said it was a light burden. We trust you, Jesus. And I pray that as each person talks today during fellowship and we, when we go home, I pray for redemption in homes, in hearts. I pray for redemption, God. Long-awaited redemption. But ultimately, God, I pray for the redemption of our souls and our hearts, God, to be one and redeemed to you. Please help us. And like those men who called out, even after the jeers of the crowd, open our eyes. I just, I just sense that our eyes are closed. Open them, and may we see Jesus for all His glory. Please do that in Jesus' name.